Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. three. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. Uh, this is Pacers After Dark. Um, Tom. Very, very, very dark today. Uh, we're not just talking about like the, the sun is covered up, like that. There is no sun. Where where is the sun? Um, the darkest of all pacers after dark. First of all, Tom, how are you doing today? Uh, outside basketball. Oh, outside basketball, not too bad. I, I have to say, I um, was thinking back to a uh, movie quote that you probably have no idea exists. Try me. I watched a lot of movies. Right. Bill Murray and Stripes. Oh, yeah, I've seen Stripes. And then Depression set in. Yep. <laughs> I've, that's that's a good, it's a good movie. I haven't seen that in forever. Yeah. I might need to watch that to cheer myself up after after some of the worst yeah, basketball right. I've seen all year. I think, I'm trying to think. I've watched at least, gosh, how many games? I watched like four or five games a night, and it's been two months into the season. So I've watched like, what, like 200 basketball games, give or take. And that was – the shittiest half of basketball I have ever seen um, this year. Yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was just, brutal. Just a, there's been some bad ones this year. Yeah, without but, even um, diving into this entire game. I mean, that was the worst <laughs> Pacers game. I'm trying to think. I mean, we, we've been through Jeff Teague era. Oh. We've been through Tyreek Evans. Um, we've even been through Troy yeah, Murphy. I, I, and, I'm going back to yeah, Jim O'Brien, Troy Murphy, and, and I was gonna say it's got to be then, right? There. But um, but also there weren't uh, uh, as high expectations either. <laughs> I mean, this was uh, you know, I mean, obviously this game set up um, considering they didn't have Durant, they're not strong defensively, um, and the Pacers had a couple of days off and should have been equally desperate to win, and they just. Couldn't do a damn thing in the first half. It was unbelievable, and uh, yeah, so it was it was it was bad and and bad at both ends. I mean, just like they weren't prepared at all. Yeah. So, Badly. well, I'll I'll just break it down really quick. Um, so I'll explain it like somebody wasn't watching the game. So the first half, just to to put it in a lucky soul into really <laughs> exactly. <laughs> To put it into great perspective, uh, the Pacers were down 62 to 30 at halftime. Yes, you heard that correctly. 30 points at halftime, um, which uh, that's got to be just about the lowest in what since the, the Raptors game last year during the six game losing streak. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think because yeah, that was that. oh, that was the, the that's probably the most recent worst game now that I think about it. Um, but regardless, yeah, so half. Just first half was just awful. Um, James Harden and Kyrie weren't even that good tonight. They combined for what? Um, I actually think Joe Harris. No, okay, Kyrie was really good. He scored thirty-five, but that was on seventeen trips to trips to the line. Yeah, I mean, and that's, they were twenty-seven for twenty-seven from the line. So, yeah. well, that's one of the first <laughs> things I want to talk about. I I saw so many people bitching about the amount of free throws the Nets were getting. I was like, dude, they're warranted. Um, like. I yeah. mean, they could not keep Kyrie or, or James Harden in front of them for shit. Um, 
I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to let the, the, the cuss words fly. I don't care. You know, um, that, that's where we're at tonight. The, all the shit was yeah. left out all over the floor. So I may as well just keep it going. Right. Um, no, I mean, part of it's difficult because you, you don't really have a lot of great defensive players to throw at James Harden and Kyrie Irving right now. Um, I thought, I mean, TJ McConnell played okay on, on James Harden, but again, TJ McConnell on James Harden, like that's yeah. what right. are we doing here? You know, that's asking a lot. Um, Kyrie was just getting everything, everything, anything he wanted, he was getting it. But also, why is the Monis Sabonis being switched on the Kyrie Irving and James Harden? Like, can I, like, I, I'm not trying right, to, like, it's not even frustration as a, in, in terms of being a fan. It's just like looking at basketball, like, why? I, I didn't understand that at all. Caitlin was posting about that. I'm excited. To, well, I'm not excited, but I'm I'm interested to talk to her and get her perspective on that because it just makes no sense. Like, why? And and the thing is, yeah, I mean, those are the two guys you got to contain. Obviously, um, even though they they didn't have huge games, obviously getting to the line for twenty seven. Uh, well, yeah, and sorry to cut you off too, but big. like helping off of Joe Harris, right? Like, I just I I'm I'm so confused as to what like the defense wasn't even the worst tonight. I thought the defense like I want to go back. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to subject myself to watching the entire game again, but I might go back and watch <laughs> parts of it because um, I felt like the defense wasn't as bad as it could have been. I actually felt like Miles had a pretty good, solid game defensively. Um, just com- looking at the position he was put in, but. I think just overall, I mean, you, looking at both ends, like you were mentioning, like what well, I I just didn't understand any of the game plan in any way. I mean, we saw Domas isolated on DeAndre Jordan six times in the first quarter, and I think he scored once, if that. Um, yeah, he goes seven of twenty from the field again. Malcolm went five of seventeen. Both guys just looked completely flat and had no energy right out of the gates. Um, and still, they both played 34 minutes. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think this is a lot of compounding of of what we've been talking about in terms of guys getting run into the ground to start the year. Um, that does not completely excuse them having, you know, being doubled up on in, in a half. But at the same time, I think it's, uh, you know, it's the chickens coming home to roost a little bit in, in terms of you. you you're setting the seeds of, of everything that's going to happen later on by doing everything you did over the first 22 games. I mean, 24 games. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm giving them that excuse, honestly. Um, no, no, I'm not. Trust me. I'm not giving them the, the excuse. But I'm saying it's just, yeah. Is, is I mean, uh, you know, there, there's no, no doubt about it. Ever since Vic left, there's something much different with Domas and Broadman out there together. They were complete black holes. They just can't. They can't do anything other than like I. I'd like to go back and, and count um, the past few games, and I don't think I'm going to subject myself to this. But the the number of dribbles Domas takes before putting up a shot against a bigger guy, you know, it it his execution and scoring off of that has just plummeted. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he's not. No one's moving around. No one's making cuts where he can hit him. And it seems like he once it goes in there, like he said, it's just, it's a black hole. And and 
the fadeaways to start the game tonight was really frustrating because that's, yeah. you know, that's just not his best game. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I want him going through guys and, you know, um, they get upset because they're not drawing fouls, but when you're fading away or, or, you know, throwing up wild one handers, um, you're not going to draw that foul. You got, you got to, you know, generate the contact and take it. And maybe you get blocked, but you know, maybe you draw the foul as well. And, and, um, yeah. And, and with Robin, it's kind of the same thing. He's gotten into getting those runners and he all of a sudden can't hit the runners. And, and, um, and I, I just felt like they they were just so frustrated and then no one was able to pick them up. You know, uh, you know, when they did get open threes, uh, they were bouncing and, you know, then, and then you see in the second half, a couple guys make one, people start feeling good. They're moving around. Uh, they get some of that bench unit in there and really moving around. Um, and, and they're cooking. And, you know, one, one more quick thing, um, about that lack of movement, I think it really hurts a guy like Justin Hall because you see him yeah. when he's playing with more of those bench guys and they're moving around. And when everybody's moving around, he's active. He's getting up into rebounds. He's hit. He hits threes in rhythm, um, and he's a much different player. But when he's sitting there standing, um, not doing as much moving with that first unit, uh, he's not as effective. And then you know, Jeremy Lamb just overall had a rough night. I don't know. He he just wasn't there tonight. So, um, so yeah. Hopefully they can take something from that second half, and and uh, they should be as surly as the Nets supposedly were <laughs> after they lost to Detroit last night. Um, as they go into Detroit to, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean it's interesting too because like you're talking about with Jeremy, he only took five shots tonight. He passed out of a lot of opportunities. Um, but at the same time, he just isn't ha- he he didn't have a lot of stuff go for him tonight. Like, there wasn't a lot of stuff opening up for him. Um, and I thought even worse, not worse, gosh, great English mark. Um, even even more impacted in a negative way offensively. I mean, Miles was hardly involved in anything tonight offensively. He took four mm-hmm. shots. And I don't it's not about being passive or anything. He just was like I I mean, there were multiple possessions where he didn't even touch the ball. Um and it's just so completely the opposite of how things were at the beginning of the year. And I mean, he was cutting too. I mean, he was cutting. He was trying to find openings to 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 give outlets for Malcolm and Domas, and just they weren't finding him. Um, I mean, there were a couple. Uh, like I, I mean, there was a pretty direct one where Domas tried to get Miles on a post entry pass, and I ended up being a turnover. But um, I don't know. I just I think you look at it, it like you were mentioning earlier. Like so much of it has been. I feel like Domas has been driving to the rim less. He's been posting up a lot more, but a lot less of him getting the ball high and driving in because he was doing that a lot at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, either a by bringing the ball up he would drive in, or b just catching it at, at the top of the post and he would he would drive in too. And if he if he didn't find anything, he was kicking it out, posting up and finding an opportunity to get somebody else the ball. And lately, it's just been pounding the ball, pounding the air out of yeah. the ball, frankly, and, and then putting yeah. up a pretty bad attempt. Yeah, I mean, that's what I say. It's just, it's and almost the same with, with Robin, too. A lot of times, with his bad offensive possessions are, you know, many dribble possessions. So, um, you know, I know back, back in the day, I was, uh, 
when Paul George was trying to improve his offensive game, you know, he was working with a guy and he was like, you know, you got to do something in free dribbles or you got to get rid of the ball. And, um, and I always think about that, you know, when things bog down like this and you see guys just dribble, dribble, dribble. And, and when you get stuck and nothing comes of it, um, you know, there's got to be a a better approach uh, to get, get guys moving and and, uh, generate some, some better shots and, and some more offensive rhythm. And, and, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's easy to defend. You know, I mean, yeah. we know the Mets are a good defensive team. They're going to be hyped about this game because if I jump up a few spots and the other made them look like the 2004 Pistons tonight. So <laughs> I know, I know in the second half, uh, um, you know, Quinn and Chris, so one of them mentioned that, you know, the Mets seem like they stopped playing defense after the half. I'm like, I didn't really know how much more defense they were playing in the first half. It was just, you know, Bad offense. So I mean, yeah, the Pacers um, shot like thirty percent in the first half. It's not even. Oh, if that, yeah. yeah. I mean, at one point, they were at twenty six percent late in the half. I mean, it was. It was atrocious. It was, uh, it was, honestly, it was terrible. <laughs> I uh, I don't even know what else I can even add um, yeah. about this. I mean, that was just. It was a game. It, it was a game. Um, I mean, TJ McConnell. Was uh, I thought T.J. McConnell was, if you could say somebody was the best player for the Pacers, it was probably him. Him or Justin Holiday. Um, Goga had some solid minutes out there. Yeah, Goga was solid again. Yeah, yeah. bench unit was kind of bad, fun. But yeah, Ed Sumner yeah. actually yeah. found some minutes. Um, did yeah. not really do a whole ton tonight, but I mean, he was playing. He was providing energy. Um, Aaron yeah, Holiday was, was, was a good time to use him. So yeah, yeah. You could always argue me. argue for some Ed minutes, but yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, Tom, I don't even I do I don't even know what else I can add. <laughs> just, yeah. this, is, this feels very much so like one of the ones where uh, you take the film and you just throw it in a, in, in, a, in a hopefully metal trash can so it doesn't light everything else on fire. But you just <laughs> uh, put some it. gasoline in there and just send that into the the ether because that was uh well one one positive was um i was able to live bet the pacers oh my god plus 24 and a half get out of here so i got some money (laughs) wow so i got some money out of it so that was good i figured they would at least get it down 24 and then went up to 36 i'm like oh my god i just jinxed them but uh yeah the nba is always good about that for me but uh so that was one positive. The other one was, yeah, it's, it's still uh, one of the two, I guess, no matter how bad it is. But, yeah, at some point, Pitch is going to need to win a game or two here. You'd um, think. Otherwise, it uh, won't matter who comes back from what injury list at any what time. Uh, unfortunately, I guess the, the East is just a quagmire right now. So Yeah, the Pacers um, are still going to be in fifth tomorrow. Somehow, at 12 it. and 13, they'll be fifth <laughs> in the East. Okay. Oh, yeah, oh, the way man. that the standings are shaking out, it's ah, God. But they're also, I think, uh, I, I want to say Tony put it out. They're going to be a half game out of being in the in the play in, but they're also in the. Oh, in, oh in yeah, the that's, like, that's, God damn. it's uh, that's no doubt in play here because I mean, yeah, they still got a little uh, rough schedule here for what is left on the schedule. Um, I mean, yeah, they play Atlanta, break, so. Chicago, Minnesota are all yeah. winnable games. Atlanta's been pretty solid. Um, Detroit tomorrow um, 
you know, that'll uh, be later on this podcast. I actually have two whole other segments that are going to be on this podcast. It'll be kind of a long one. I uh, previewed the Detroit game with James Edwards the third from over at the Athletic. Nice. Um, and I also answered all the mailbag questions, so that'll be up as well. But, uh, I, yeah, we the, – you know, this is obviously for us, this is much less official analysis than we're normally giving. So sorry about that, guys. But I just I just don't know what else I what else yeah. we can even add to yeah. this. It's just it was a game. You're right. It was a trash can game. Yeah. It, I think the, the, the last thing I, I do want to ask before uh before I let this uh let this go to another segment. Um at what point do you do do you think we should be worried about this just in terms of analyzing it and observing it? You know, I I I try and remain pretty optimistic about things and uh, also realistic. I, I talked about that a lot in the mailbag because people asked me some questions about this, but um, well, I, I, oh, yeah, sorry, the, the thing I, I always go to and it's, it sucks, but it's reality um, is, you know, we, we watch the team so close and, and you watch the games and you see how they can win doing certain things. Um, but honestly, if you had just this roster, you know, um, on paper before the season, um, you're thinking maybe the, you know, maybe the playoffs, I don't yeah. know. I um, you know, and you, you know, we, we say every, every pod now, but it's true. You know, you know, Victor have one, which is huge. And even with them, you know, they got, you know, their margin of error um, isn't uh, as wide as it, as it would be with major teams. So um, the worry is, yeah, they can't, <laughs> they can't get any traction and hang around until those guys are available and then maybe they can generate something uh, for a late season and, and playoff push. But, um, but yeah, but then if you're buried in the playoffs as well, you know, that's going to be rough playing a top team right out of the gate. So, um, but yeah, I, it, you got to worry, but it, it, it is what it is too. And it, you know, the NBA is in a level playing field <laughs> um, and, and the Pacers are where they are right now. They, they have to build like, you know, like I mentioned after Utah game, that Utah team has, uh, doing things in the same way the Pacers are, and they're having good health, and, and man, they play well. I couldn't believe. I thought for sure last night they were going to have a little dip. At some point, you'd think they're going to let up, but they oh, they beat the piss out of themselves so well. Oh God, just yeah, it was just and and the way they're closing everything is just beautiful to watch. So, you know, that's the type of team that I, I feel like this Pacers team could be um, if everybody's firing on all cylinders. Um, but, um, yeah, they aren't there and they certainly weren't there tonight. Yeah. Well, uh, it certainly can't, I, I shouldn't say it, but I, I'll, I'll say it. Uh, and I'll eat my words if I'm wrong. It cannot get worse than it was in the first half of the night. If we see a worse half of basketball than that, I would, uh, I would be surprised. Um, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Uh, this will launch right into uh preview with, with James Edwards, and I'll go to the mailbag right after. Um, so, yes, we uh, you, you've got some more listening to do. It'll, it'll be a lot more fruitful, uh, full of commentary and, and analysis and things that are enjoyable. Um, so stick around. 
uh, have a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll catch you on the uh, the next Pacers After Dark uh, tomorrow. Lazarus Jackson from over at Detroit Bad Boys is going to be joining us. Should be a good time. Hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully the Pacers are back to 500 after that, but we'll see. Tom, I will talk to you tomorrow. Um, but now I want to start getting into uh, into the mailbag questions. I just want to lead off with that, give you guys kind of an idea of where that's coming from because I did some digging on that, and uh, I thought it was uh, pretty notable. Um, so the first question comes from uh, from Adam over at the Indiana Pizza Club. You guys always send me some great stuff, so I appreciate it. Um, he asked about, you know, my thoughts on Jeremy Lamb being moved to the second unit instead of being with the starting lineup. And I think this is a, this is a good question. It was something I've thought about. Um, Jeremy has played really well. I think he's having just about the best season of his pro career right now. Um, you know, I, I've pointed out multiple times he has the highest free throw rate of his career right now, which has been very, uh, very different. He's normally, I don't want to say a contact averse guy, but he's not somebody normally driving to find contact. He plays uh, pretty comfortably uh, from like the elbow in. He's not somebody who's normally attacking the rim a ton. Uh, just finding his way uh, in that, you know, that, that as Tony East, a uh, friend of mine would put, uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen Jeremy Lamb miss an elbow runner. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty true. But right now, I mean, shooting 50, 50 and a half percent from the field on 80 times per game, 50% from three, which is three balls look just so smooth. Um, and 96% from the line. Um, he's been in the starting lineup the past seven games. And uh, I think, it's it's interesting because I think my question to this my, not question my answer to this Adam would be uh, it depends on the matchup. Um, I think that it makes sense in some ways to, to bring Jeremy off the bench because like you noted in your email, um, he can get his own shot a little bit. He just brings more of a scoring punch to the bench. So I, I would understand having him on the bench, but uh, I think he makes sense in some ways in the starting lineup because you need his size, his length. He's not the greatest defender, but just having somebody who has his size matters. Um, and he's not somebody who's going to use his size in a way that's a, that's a negative, like he's not getting out of position a ton. In some ways he will, like he's not great on closeouts. He struggles getting over screens. Um, but at the point of attack, he's big enough to at least uh, keep somebody in front of him for a little bit. Um, and he's good at playing the passing lanes, averaging uh, over a steal game right now. So that's a positive. Um, but ultimately I would agree. I think, you know, Edmund Sumner is out of the rotation. Uh, he really – I don't think he's played in about four or five games now. He's somebody who I would personally love to see. You know, even – it's not not that he has to play 30 minutes, but um, I think he's somebody I, I've always looked at as um, – and especially we saw when he, he started four games earlier earlier this year. He brings energy. He's uh, probably the most laterally quick guy on the team right now, um, which, you know, that's, that's important. I, I wonder if he'll actually get run tonight against Kyrie Irving because he is going to be very difficult to stop um, by any of the Pacers backcourt or wing depth. Um, so I think, yeah, my answer would be um, it just depends on the matchup, but I agree. I, I think getting Jeremy into a more natural six man role where, where he'll hopefully be uh, when the team is fully healthy is, uh, is ideal. And I would like to see um, some opportunity for, uh, for some of the lower bench guys to maybe step into the starting lineup. Um, like I mentioned with Ed, I think he would be a great fit there. And I, I frankly have no idea why he is not uh, getting any opportunity in the rotation. Um, I believe Nate Bjorkman hasn't been fully asked on that. Um, you know, he always talks about guys on the bench being ready. We've seen them start to get a little bit more run, especially Gogo Bataze. But uh, 
has not been in the cards for Ed. Um, but Adam, thank you for your question. Um, move on to the next one from Walter Lambert. Uh, originally, it was mentioned that possible time frame for TJ Warren return was six to eight weeks. Since it's now been four weeks since surgery, have you heard anything about a possible return target date? I have not heard anything about that. The Pacers are very tight-lipped on uh, on anything injury-related, um, which makes sense, you know, HIPAA. And also, you know, you just you, you don't let that kind of stuff leak out as an organization. Um, yeah, this is, this is a great question. I... Uh, as far as I'm aware, I think TJ Warren is out of his boot. If he's not out of it, he's about to be. Um, don't quote me on that. That's just that's last thing I've heard. Um, I I have no idea when he's going to be back. We haven't really been led to believe anything. My understanding is if he does come back, it'll be March or April. Um, so right before playoffs, most likely. I'm not expecting him back anytime soon. And frankly, I want him to take all the time off that he needs because that's a, you know, if his injury is not fully healed or taken care of, that's something that could pop back up. Um, so you definitely don't want that. He had the same injury on, uh, on, on his opposite foot when he was in Phoenix. Um, so, you know, he's been a, a rather injury prone guy throughout his career other than this, this past year before the injury. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that he can come back and, uh, and we'll see with that. But as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, I think this is an interesting opportunity for the Pacers to really de- experiment with some things and try and work on development. They haven't necessarily taken it that way. Um, but, you know, they're starting to trend towards that direction. I think we'll start to see that. Um, so here comes another great question. Uh, and also thank you for that question, Walter. I appreciate it. Um, from Mike B8, Mike underscore Soros on, uh, on Twitter. I always appreciated dinosaur reference. I actually was a big dinosaur dude growing up. I still have like a giant box of dinosaur toys in my garage back home. Um, but yeah, so the question from Mike is why is Bjorkman not playing Sumner? What is it that Nate is seeing that I am not seeing? It's a great question because it is something I've asked myself. Um, I feel like every single game Ed doesn't play, I ask myself the same question. And Mike, I'll be honest, I am not sure why Edmund Sumner is not playing. Um, part of it's really difficult because, you know, I'm not, I'm not in Indiana right now, so I wouldn't get to be in the locker room anyways. Um, you know, the guys who would be in the locker room wouldn't really, you know, that's, that's part of the difference in in this year, guys who would be in the locker room getting to maybe get some more insight on this aren't, um, you know, I was talking like I mentioned, I was talking to Christian Winfield yesterday and, um, he talked about how weird it is not going in and actually being part of the, the team. And getting to talk to the guys in person and, you know, develop some of those relationships and, and get more insight on the team just by being around them. Um, so that's my long way of saying I'm not sure why he's not playing. In me watching Sumner, I've gone back uh, most of the games when he doesn't play and I, I go, or if he does play like just one spurt, you know, he plays four or five minutes. So I go back and I'll watch and see, okay, did anything happen in this five minutes that, that should lead to, to him not playing or that would maybe lead to him not playing? And I just don't have – I don't have an answer for you uh, that would support why he's not playing. I think he's been uh, – he brings uh, he brings really good defense at the point of attack. Um, he's not always – you know, he can ball watch occasionally off ball. He's not like a great off ball player. He can make some steals in the passing lanes. Um, he brings a lot of ability as a transition player. Uh, frankly, I mean, other than Cassius Stanley, who is in the bubble right now, and he actually plays today at 3.30, I'm hoping to catch that game. Um, but I'd also have to get an ESPN Plus subscription by then. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's up in the air right now. 
But my point is, Ed is the best athlete on the team that's not in the bubble right now. Um, I think he just brings more elements to the team that you you like and you kind of need. Um, so it's a little bit of a, I, I think that there's an opportunity to get something out of Ed that um, that just hasn't been shown yet. And you could make the argument that he is what he is now. He's 25 years old. Um, so maybe he's not going to grow that much as a player. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, if you have a guy on the bench, you know, you have 13 players available for every game for a reason. Uh, I'm not saying you have to play all 13, but you have to find a way to get something out of everyone on the team. Uh, otherwise, you know, what is the point of having that roster spot? Um, you know, that at least that's how I view it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll start to see that. But again, we have, we have not started to see that yet. So uh, I am certainly waiting to see, you know, what happens with Ed. Um, I'm imagining somebody's going to ask Coach Bjorkman about why he's not playing soon because it's been long enough where uh, it's more than uh, it's more than reasonable to ask why he's not in the rotation. So, Mike, thank you for that question. Um, hopefully that that cleared it up a little bit for you. Um, but I, uh, I, I ultimately I'm not really sure either. Um, and Sean, I will get to you in just one second, man. I appreciate you asking to asking to speak. I, I got to answer one more question, then uh, then I'll be good to bring you up. Um, so just a quick one. Uh, this is a f- from uh, from not Zay, my friend Zay. Zay, thank you for sending in a question. Um, thoughts on Karis LeVert's long-term projection, or is he the guy who can help you all to comparable heights to those during the Victor Oladipo era? Um, it's a great it's a great question. I'm higher on Karis LeVert than I think uh, the general consensus. Um, obviously, Karis has been a pretty injury-prone guy throughout his career. Um, but I think he's a massive, massive plus to have, you know, considering this, you know, the state of how things were with Victor. Obviously, the team moved on from Victor because they weren't guaranteed that he was going to sign there. So I think, you know, Karras is not the same level of player that Victor uh, Victor was. But, I mean, you look, he just dropped a 43-point game the week before um, before he got traded in the Harden deal. Uh, and that, you know, points aren't everything, but I think Karras is, he's six, six, he's probably a better passer than Victor. Um, he does, I mean, he's good at getting downhill, but he likes finishing in the mid range, very similar to Victor. So I'm, I'm hopeful that with Nate Bjorken, he'll start to craft his game more towards, um, getting to the rim and kicking out from there instead of trying to find, uh, find a, his craft in the mid range. He's a solid mid range scorer. I think he could open up a lot more by really, um, honing in at getting to the rim. And we've seen some players do that in Nate Bjorker's system. The Pacers are number one in the league at, in, in rim attempts. So I think there's a real opportunity for Karras to grow into that. He's not the youngest guy. I think he's 26 right now. So I, I never want to count a guy out and how much they can grow. Um, I don't know if he'll ever get to Victor's heights. That's a lot to ask of somebody, you know, being a top 10 player. That 17, 18 year Vic was a top 10 player. It's kind of crazy to look back and realize that he averaged, I think, like 23, 7, and 4. Um, I, that 17, 18 year was just ridiculous. Um, but I do think Karras can be um, like a, like the, the idea of this team, you have five guys in the starting lineup who are all top 100 players. You know, I think Karras Levert would be a top 100 player. Malcolm Brogdon, certainly. Uh, TJ Warren, yes. Domas, definitely. Miles Turner, of course, especially this year. Um, that's what the Pacers are aiming towards, being a winning team. Like Sean, I, I believe Sean Coleman in here is the lockdown Grizzlies host. So I love the Grizz. I, I actually just did a podcast talking about the uh, 
um, grit and grind Grizzlies not that long ago, I think you look at a team like that, a team like the 14-15 Hawks, like I mentioned earlier, that's the path that the Pacers are trying to follow. Um, having a really consistent team with a really plus starting lineup, a lot of guys who can form cohesion together, um, they're not going to have that that tier one star. So I, I don't think Karras is ever going to be you know the guy, but he's going to be one of the guys. Um, and you know maybe that culminates in an all star appearance or something. But regardless, um, I'm very excited for him. A just because he's a great person. You know I, I've heard nothing but positives. Um, I went back and I watched a lot of his interviews, read a lot of stuff on him. And, um, just from what I know, fantastic, fantastic dude. So, Zay, thank you for that question. I'm going to bring on Sean now uh, for a quick question. What's up, Sean? How are you doing, man? Hey, Mark. Uh, more than anything, man, it's a pleasure to uh, talk with you. Uh, you uh, have uh, some earned some high praise here when it comes to uh, uh, the SB Nation uh, Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, guys like Joe <laughs> Mullinax and uh, Appreciate uh, Parker it. Fleming, they speak very highly of you. So I just want to take the chance to introduce myself and say hello, and thanks for the opportunity to talk with you for a moment. Yeah, of course, man. I'm uh, I'm psyched to talk to you. I know we've never talked before, but I've I've, I've caught you on, on Twitter multiple times, and I love – uh, I love uh, Joe and Park. Always enjoy talking with them. And, um, Grizzly Bear Blues is definitely one of the better run SB Nation sites. I always enjoy seeing your guys' stuff. But uh, yeah, how are things on your end, man? Uh, doing well. And uh, I uh, I did a, a podcast recently with uh, Caitlin Cooper when uh, we uh, got the chance oh, okay. to uh, yeah talk uh, Pacers and uh, Grizz. You and her are, are two very talented riders over there. So it's, <laughs> Thank a, it's you. a pleasure to pleasure to talk with you. So, uh, but yeah, um, so I, I like I told her. Demonist, and, and by the way, I will say this: Adam and Shravon, you're not going to find two. It, it's hard to find two better basketball fans on the locker room app. So you got a good crowd here today as well. So. Oh yeah, I love Shravon and Adam, both. Uh, yeah, my my great hype men. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, they're they're two wonderful folks. Um, so like I told Caitlin, um, I keep up with the Pacers because besides the Grizzlies, uh, uh, Demonist, I call him Bayonis because uh, Sabonis <laughs> is probably my, my favorite uh, player. Uh, who doesn't play for the Grizzlies. But the thing that I've always acknowledged, and I'll be honest, I was a bit frustrated from you know my point of view when they fired McMillan because I thought that he had done so well developing the talents there, you know, especially with the fact that, you know, like me and Caitlin had talked about, mm-hmm. you've always had the wings to support the bigs going back the past 13 years, but you never can get the duo of wings to be healthy together. And, of course, it happens again with Karis and Warren now hurt as well. But Bjorken... I will say this, he's added an additional element to developing talent with Turner and Sabonis and Brogdon and even some of your depth guys who have taken the step up. I would imagine you have to be excited about the fact you've always been you know, a fan of a team that can make the most of some talents, but we're talking about Bjorken taking it to another level, especially when it comes to Brogdon um, and, and uh, Sabonis. Yeah, definitely. I um. I'm pretty stoked about Nate Bjorken and what he's brought here. But most importantly, I think the players really, really love him. Uh, you know, they always talk about how, how much they enjoy playing for him, how much they enjoy uh, just even practice with him, uh, which things are just very different from that uh, in, in regards to Nate McMillan. And I, I agree. I was someone who uh, I don't want to say I was up in arms. I try and keep a pretty level head. Um, when looking at stuff, I think I used to be a fan of the team and I've really transitioned away from that and just trying to be more objective with stuff. Um, but looking at Nate McMillan, you're right. I mean, they were on pace for 50 wins last year. Um, it's difficult to look and say, okay, you know, yes, they lost in the first round, but it was the funkiest season of funky seasons. Um, you know, it's not, it's, 
I remember I asked Coach Millen about, you know, if he could draw anything on from the, the year that he coached in the lockout in uh, in Portland. And that was prior to the bubble. And I remember him telling me, he was like, you know, I wish that I could say that it's uh, there's any kind of comparison, but it's just so different. You know, it's uh, even then that was a, that was still a regular year. It's just condensed. This is like an entirely different thing than the bubble. So you look at that, you know, I uh, I was very a little bit vexed on on him being fired initially as things really poured out from, from team insiders and hearing more about stuff internally, uh, it made sense. Um, the team, they were just on two very different pages. Uh, I think, uh, Nate was a big fan of practicing hard, uh, and practicing long. And a lot of the guys were not with that, that contributed a lot to, or at least I, I believe there was kind of a thought that that contributed to them being pretty banged up last year. Um, and in the past, uh, ultimately, you know, I mean, there was strong push from guys like Malcolm Brogdon towards finding a new coach. Uh, and so while I ultimately agree, I think that it was it's hard to justify firing somebody who was as successful as Nate McMillan was. And I, I do not care that yet. I mean, like, obviously, you don't want a team to lose in the first round. But I think you cannot discredit the fact that they were a really good, steady regular season team. I think too many people discredit that. It's an important thing to be good in the regular season. Of course, you want to go farther in the playoffs. So I'll never say that the playoffs aren't important, but um, you can't discredit what he did well, do while he was here. But uh, but I agree with that, Sean. It, w- it was very uh, very confusing at the time, but I think uh, as things poured out, it made a lot more sense. So the individual success, and then this, and I'll step down after this. Thanks again for, mm-hmm. for yeah, letting no me problem. come. So the individual successes are certainly there. The next step up for you know the, the main talents on your roster. Um, you know, are there with Bjorken, but his overall philosophy when it comes to offense and defense, but especially on offense, you know, it, it, with the rim frequency that I know that a lot of, uh, you know, indie insiders talk about, that's certainly there. But of course, you support it with some pretty decent three point shooting as well. Is it, you know, the, the adage that you've seen over the past few years in which, you know, get the high percentage three, and if it's not there, get as high percentage two as possible? Do you see more of a focus on that with the rim and three type, you know, concept? And do you feel more confident going into the playoffs, you know, where you're going to be facing teams that have, you know, bigger level of stars, like one or two stars, whereas it's more mm-hmm. of a team collective unit? How do you feel Bjorken's offensive schemes are going to add value to really give you a chance to maybe pull off, you know, an upset or two in the playoffs um, this year? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I appreciate that one. Um, I think that's exactly what I'm looking at with you know talking about this team being more prepared for the playoffs. I think you look at this team again, like I mentioned, they're 12 and 12 right now. I think they're more prepared to be a a good playoff team than they were last year. Um, and and why I would say that because like like you just mentioned, Sean. I mean they're they're running things that make more sense for the playoffs. Defensively, I have a lot of questions. Um, and that's something I've, I've, I've written on and Caitlin has written on a ton too. Um, but offensively, yeah, they, they, they just make way more sense. Um, they're running things that the, the offense is bogged down in the last couple of weeks. Um, I do think that will kind of turn around a as Karis and TJ hopefully come back sometime soon, but more importantly, they just start to make some changes on the roster. Uh, I mean, not on the roster, but in the rotation and, you know, just some tweaks, guys get some more rest. Uh, they played a really lengthy slate, and you know it's bolstered by a, a nice back-to-back this week. Um, but point being, I mean, like you were talking about, Sean, they've really changed how they how they take shots. Um, I mean, they were just about tops in the league last year in mid-range attempts um, and mid-range frequency. 
while also being very high up in terms of accuracy. So that's a, that's a plus, but they were also damn near last in three point attempts. And, you know, they, there's enough guys on the roster who are good three point shooters to say, Hey, why are we taking this low amount of attempts? And that was something that was always brought up last year. So that has changed this year. What's been interesting is instead of increasing the three point attempts, they have. They're uh, they're right around league average. I think they're in about 17th right now, if I remember correctly. I'm pulling up the stats right now. Um, but like I mentioned, they're number one in rim attempts. They're getting there a ton, uh, which is huge because the rim rim attempts are the most, uh, in, in terms of just points per possession, that is going to be just about the best shot you can get, right? Uh, they're shooting 19th in the league at the rim, but still with the amount of attempts, that's good. But they're currently 15th in the league in three-point shooting, shooting just about league average from three. Um, you know, in terms of shooting frequency, they're 19th in the amount of threes they're taking, but they're 29th in total mid-range shots. Well, being uh, they've they've come down the last week, but they're 16th in, in mid-range uh, success rate. But they were second last year, shot 44% from mid overall, which was, of course, you know, really good. Uh, but you know, it's better to be taking those those rim shots and, and threes ultimately. Um, I think. <sighs> How else would I say it? Like the, the ATOs, the sidelines out of, out of bounds plays, those are so much better. You know, I think last year those often resulted in turnovers. We had uh, in in the Pacers circle, like you're mentioning, we always made uh, comments on and, – and kind of, like the running joke was, oh, I can't wait to see the India play get run again because there was one play. Um, the Pacers played in India. They played so the Sacramento Kings, I think, twice in India in the preseason at the beginning of last year. Um, and they had one ATO that worked really well. And that was the ATO they ran, like, I think two out of every three times last year, it was the India play. And every team knew it was coming. Every team knew how to defend it, and they still ran it. So that was, like, the running joke in Pacers circles last year. Oh, I can't wait to see the, the India play run again. Um, it's been different. They uh, One of the ATOs, I mean, there's a pretty set ATO that, you know, I'm used to seeing, and um, we see it quite often. But it's been very effective, and there are multiple actions off of it. The offense in general, there are just uh, there's a lot more motion to it. There, instead of I, I would coin it often as the drive and die offense last year, a guy would drive to the to the rim off a pick and roll. Uh, he would either be contested by two guys and not go up, and then he'd pass out, and then it would end up in an isolation, uh, or it would be a bad look at the rim, and or or he would just you know shoot something up from like ten to sixteen feet, and now you actually have guys driving to the rim and kicking out and there there's other motions going on outside just the initial action that's been huge um there's just a lot more built-in stuff that makes the offense more dynamic and i think that's been important um but again a lot like i, I was talking on this before some people joined in um the biggest thing is just malcolm turning his game around because the last 12 games he's really struggled uh and that's been a big part of the offense uh kind of dying down they've uh they went from you know, they, they were top 10 in offense for a pretty lengthy stretch, and now they've dropped down to they're in 13th in offensive rating right now. Um, and if you're just going off points per possession, they're also a little bit lower than 13th. Um, I do think that will change. I don't think, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think Malcolm has been as bad as the last 12 games project. But regardless, uh, they're in need of some kind of some kind of boost. And I'm, I'm not expecting that to come against Brooklyn tonight, but I, I'm hopeful it'll come against Detroit tomorrow, even though Detroit is way better than I think people realize. Um, they actually just beat the Brooklyn Nets yesterday. Um, 
also Tim, my friend Tim Daniel, thank you. I, I appreciate the appreciate the shot, man. Thanks for joining. I appreciate it. Um, thank you to all you guys who are in here right now. It's pretty cool. I was a uh, I was a little bit weary. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna be like the only person here just talking, recording a pod by myself. But uh, kind of cool. Uh, thanks for joining, guys. So I'm gonna get back to some more of the listener submitted questions um, for this mailbag. So here is another one from not DB Cooper on uh, on Twitter. Very convincing. And now I'm, I'm now I'm convinced that you are DB Cooper. Uh, is the losing streak being influenced by trading Vic, or is it influenced by the weird rotations that Bjorkren is using, uh, keeping Domas and Brogdon until late in games that we have clearly won or lost, not using Bilbo until recently, no Sumner or Samson. Uh, it's a good question. I, I think I've hit on that a little bit. I really do think that the four and eight stretch is largely due to trading Vic and not replacing him with anyone. Um, you know, again, that's just the nature of what happened with Karras. You can't, you can't just get somebody uh, out of thin air. You know, uh, so you lose somebody in Vic who had been a big plus on the defensive end, and he did some things that were really good on the offensive end that opened things up for everyone else. So I think that has a major influence. I also, like you mentioned, I don't think the rotations have been bad. I think the the minutes have been questionable, um, and I've written on that. I know Coach Bjork has been asked about that, and uh, Malcolm and Domas have been. All three have said that they're comfortable with it. I still just on court tells a completely different story than than what we uh, we hear in the post game pressers. Like they, I mean, you can quite quite clearly see Malcolm and Domas gas out at the end of games. Um, like that's unequivocal. So I think that's hopefully going to trend in a different direction with Goga playing more. It has. Um, I mean, Domas still played, I believe, thirty four minutes the other day. Malcolm played thirty six. Um, somehow that's low for them. Uh, that's below their season average, um, which still, again, that's something that's, uh, it's a little weary. I'm hopeful that will go down. Uh, but I mean, we saw like a pretty significant nine man rotation. Like you had nine guys all playing 15 minutes or more. And I think that's more what we're trending towards seeing. I'd like to see a 10th man get in there for, you know, five to 10 minutes, lower Malcolm's minutes. Uh, you, it's hard to, to lower Domas's minutes, but some of Goga's minutes are coming at the, um, Eating into Miles' minutes, which I don't love. I'd like to see Miles and Domas like play the same amount of time, or you know maybe Domas plays just a little bit more. It can be fluid, like it can change from game to game. But I think there's no real reason to be playing somebody 36 or 37 minutes in a game, especially when you're seeing on court how uh, how their legs kind of die. And you know, you, especially like I've pointed this out, I've posted multiple times on Twitter about Malcolm's numbers dipping a ton in the fourth quarter just because he's so tired from how much he's played. And I mean. To you guys listening, if you uh, have not caught up on Pacers uh, rotations, I mean, Malcolm Brogdon and, and Domas Sabonis will play almost the entire third quarter most of the time, uh, if not they, the entire third quarter. So then they'll come out, and um, by the time they're in the fourth quarter, their legs are just gone, the shots are flat, um, and that's something we've, we've seen routinely. But um, I think that would be my answer to the question. It's uh, all a little bit um, kind of – it's just all stirring. All, all of it's added to the pot. You know, it, it, none of it is, uh, it's not just individual, um, but they all contribute in some way, shape, or form. So, on to the next question uh, from Ethan Becker. Why was the All-Star game moved from Indiana to Atlanta? Because the NBA is stupid and they decided they're going to have an All-Star game. That's uh, that's my prime answer to that. No, I mean, number one, uh, I mean, it was already canceled in Indiana, so you have everything that's canceled there. Uh, Atlanta is where TNT is. I mean, like the TNT's uh, main studios are, and they host all the stuff for the All-Star game, if I remember correctly, so that definitely has an impact on it. Um, 
ultimately, I don't have an answer because they're never going to tell me why. They'll just say that it was, you know, it just made sense at the time. Um, I just don't think that there should be an all-star game. Players have come out and said that there shouldn't be an all-star game. So me saying it's not going to make any difference, but I don't care. Um, there's just no real reason to have it. Um, that's all I'm going to say on it. I don't really think there's anything I can add to it other than just uh, complaining about that it's happening. I'm hopeful that somehow it gets canceled, but it probably won't because money. Um, so next question from a friend of the pod and friend of mine, Matthew Miranda. He does some great work over at uh, Posting and Toasting in Jacobin Sports, uh, Pod Strickland. How many legit title contenders are to, are there this season? I like this question because it's not in a, it's not in, a, in a, and of itself a Pacers question. I like getting answer general NBA stuff because I uh, I do a lot of freelance work too. Um, so I I mean I love keeping up with the league. Um, I really like okay. So my definition of a contender, like when I look at a title contender, I say a team that can make the conference finals. Like you could reasonably see them making the conference finals. I think that's how I would look at it because. If you just say a team that can win the title, I mean, that's all right. You narrow A, you narrow it down a ton, and B, I just feel like that's really reductive. A lot more happens than winning a title in the playoffs. So looking at the West, I think there are three real contenders right now. Um, and the, I have varying levels of confidence in all of them, but I think it's just it's pretty simple. I mean, Utah and both LA teams are the contenders in the West right now. Phoenix is 14 and nine, but I don't think that they are, you know, they, I, I think that they're a second round playoff team. Um, I don't think that they're good enough to make the conference finals unless they make some kind of trade. And I don't think they will. It doesn't make a lot of sense for them to, um, but I, I really like Phoenix. I like watching them play. Um, I mean, you can go down the list. Denver has been pretty underwhelming this year, even if they make some sizable move, like unless they make a, uh, Bradley Beal is not going to get traded as far as I'm aware, unless, I mean, maybe Washington goes on a 10 game losing streak, which is entirely feasible. Actually. Um, they have been bad this year, play Troy Brown and Isaac Bonga. Um, but they won't. Um, but yeah, I would say Utah, the Lakers and the Clippers are contenders in the West. Um, you, Utah's just so good, man. And I know any a number of things will be brought up about how they're not actually, you know, comparable to the Lakers and Clippers. Um, I think that they have a chance. Um, you know, they're they're a, the Lakers and Clippers are more built for playoff basketball and of course the Lakers have definitely not been it's easy I mean we're talking about a 19 and 16 and I'm about to say that they haven't been not that they haven't been trying but that they haven't been fully in on uh, this season, like last year, they put the pedal to the metal right out the gate. This year, they're not doing the same. Anthony Davis has not been uh, the same level of player he was last year, which is fine. I mean, you're a returning title title team. Like, you don't have to go balls out to start the year. I think that would be kind of ridiculous and unnecessary. Um, but I don't know. Utah's just – they're a buzzsaw right now. When their offense gets going, I mean, we saw that happen against the Pacers. Like – they didn't even play well offensively, but their defense is so good with Gobert. Um, there are ways to try and counter Gobert. I don't really believe you can actually play him off the floor. I think that that's an over-talked-about narrative. Rudy Gobert is just really damn good. Um, and when they're, you know, if, I think if they're healthy, um, you know, I'm I'm pretty confident that they will be a very difficult team to beat in the postseason. Um but again, I mean, it always comes down to the Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, how do you defend LeBron? That's a great question. 
because now LeBron is uh, shooting like 41% from three on high volume. He just continues to get better. Uh, I, I have no idea how you defend the Lakers in the playoffs and beat the Lakers in the playoffs. Like right now, I mean, that's my ultimate answer. I mean, the Lakers are the best team in the league pretty unequivocally. Um, just from watching them on court and um, looking at their roster up and down, like they got better over the offseason. We've seen that play out already. And LeBron is so good. Like he's still the best player in the league, in my opinion. I, I know some people have said Kevin Durant. Um, no, that's LeBron to me. I mean, I, I mean, Kevin Durant's been nice this year. That's under underappreciating him. He's been really, really good this year. He looks like he's hardly missed a beat. He definitely has lost a little bit of a step. But, it, I mean, he's just so good, it almost doesn't matter because um, he, he's seven foot, probably the best pure shooter in the league other than Steph Curry. Um, he can rise up over anyone. So it's very difficult to, to do anything to defend Kevin Durant. But the Lakers, I mean, LeBron is the best passer in the game right now. Um, so I don't know how you beat that. And Servan asks, uh, who is the best player on the Jazz? It's easily Rudy Gobert. Um, a lot of people might say Donovan Mitchell because he's, he's a leading scorer. Donovan Mitchell is really damn good. I like Donovan Mitchell a lot. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is their second best player. Um, Rudy Gobert is incredible. But also, to anybody who did not watch the uh, Jazz Pacers, Donovan Mitchell was insanely good in that game. Uh, pretty much won them, won them that game. Um, so I, I don't know what people would necessarily – you know, you could make an argument for, for, for not Rudy Gobert, but I would definitely batter that down because Rudy Gobert does – sets the table for them on both ends. Um, yeah, and then looking at the East in terms of title contenders, I think Philadelphia um, – I mean, I think that their bench – they need one, one guy on the bench, it feels like. Uh, I talked with Jackson Frank about this. Not that long ago, I think we did a show together probably a week and a half or two weeks ago, and we did some pregame and uh, preview stuff for the Pacers game as well. Um, I think it's the Sixers. I think Milwaukee as well. Um, I don't care about your whatever playoff narrative about the Bucks. The Bucks are really good still. They got better. Um, Bobby Portis has been nice for them off the bench. That was actually the kind of guy I wanted them to get on the bench. I've, I've said that last year, that was my thing. I, I thought they had nice pieces on the bench, but they didn't have anybody who could really create their own shot. And Bobby Portis can do that. He's not a great defender by any means. Um, but when you have so many good defenders on that Bucks team, you just need guys who can score at some point off the bench. Uh, and Bobby Portis is doing it efficiently. He's played really well with Giannis, actually. They have a nice stretch game um, where Giannis is good as a driver and getting inside. And uh, Portis has been so good from outside. Um, I really like that fit. Drew Holiday has been so good for them. His numbers are down, but it's because his role's lower. Um, he's just been a menace defensively. We saw that against Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, basically gave Malcolm the monster treatment. Um, not to belittle Malcolm, but, I mean, he really struggled with Drew Holiday. I think that team is going to be so good in the playoffs. They've experimented a lot more. Chris Middleton is probably an all-NBA player for me right now. I'm going to do – my preemptive all NBA teams this week at some point. Um, but I would have Chris Middleton on the team right now. He's been even better than he was last year. He's a 50, 40, 90 guy. Um, and he's just good. So yeah, I would have them. And I guess I would have Brooklyn too. Um, Brooklyn's kind of on the outside looking in for me. Um, I think Brooklyn's good, but like I said, um, I said, I had, uh, issues with Philly's depth. I have more questions about Brooklyn's depth. 
I'm not really like worried about the defense, quote unquote. Like, I mean, I don't think they're ever going to be a good defensive team, but uh, I talked about this with Christian Winfield yesterday. Um, you know, th- it's very similar to uh, to looking at the Cavs when LeBron was there. Like, they have the guys who can play defense when they're locked in. So I think that they'll turn it up later in the season and, and into the playoffs like we always saw with those Cavs teams. I think it gets a little bit overblown sometimes talking about, well, at, at this moment, they're not doing this. And I think, well, it's because, you know, they're not really locked in and trying to. So um, you have to look at it a little bit differently. And Svrvon, you said uh, you said the Celtics. I am not sure on the Celtics right now as a contender because Kemba has really, really struggled. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I think he'll get better as time goes on, but he just has not looked like himself yet. Um, obviously, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are, are both out. Um, I know Jalen Brown will be back soon. Marcus Smart's not going to be gone for too long. He had, fortunately was not that poorly injured. Um, but also, I mean, I guess, you know, it's I, I guess I'm making this statement without counting for the fact that they might make a move. Um, they're the team that sneakily I would really love to see make a run for Nikola Vucevic because I think uh, this is the year. If Orlando is going to blow things up, it is this year because they are not going anywhere uh, anywhere fast with all of the injuries that they have. It's really unfortunate for them. I thought they were going to be solid this year, but um, with Isaac out, Aaron Gordon's missing a ton of time. Markel Fultz is out for the year. I mean, they just are in a place where um, – I think it would make sense for them to maybe sell off some parts and retool for, for the future. Um, so I don't know. It depends what happens with TPE. I'm also not really that enamored with the trade exceptions. I think oftentimes they're a lot more valuable in a fan's head than they are in actuality. Um, but that's me being more of a pessimist. And I also just get annoyed when people keep saying, well, Hey, we have this TPE. Um, but you know, that's, that's just kind of where I'm at on that. So I would say, I mean, I still think Milwaukee's the best team in the East, um, even if they aren't right now record-wise. Um, and I would expect them to uh, to make it to the finals this year personally. Uh, so moving on to the next question. Um, also, thank you, Matthew, for that question. From Chris Carey, um, what happened to the Sabonis plus bench lineup? Last year they were second in minutes played with a plus 7.2 net rating. So far this year, sixth in minutes played with a plus 0.9 net rating. And uh, also my favorite favorite thing, uh, he put benches in Holidays and McDermott Connell. Uh, he combined the three names of McDermott McConnell. Um, I, I thought that was fantastic. Or not three names, two names, um, but just a nice long name. It sounds like some kind of skincare product, uh, McDermott Connell. Um, yeah, that's a good question, man. I think part of it's different because they've been playing just in in different ways. They haven't. I mean, Domas is. Uh, like uh, they're they're just employing the lineup differently. I mean, Doug has not shot as well this year. He's been better getting to the rim. Uh, the lineups are also worse because Aaron Holiday has really struggled this year, so he has tanked a lot of the net ratings. Like the starting lineup that was him with uh, Brogdon, Oladipo, um, and Miles and, and Domas. Like the, all those all those net ratings got uh, got pretty noisy because of how poorly Aaron started the year. Um, and he still is not playing ridiculously well. Like his shooting splits are up now, um, but they were pretty poor to start. I think that's a large reason for why the net rating is down. I think, uh, hmm. I mean, it's a good question. I, I want to dive into it more, but I ultimately that's, that's like my initial answer. I would say that that's, that's the large reason for why they've, uh, they've struggled so far. Um, 
but also, I mean, like you just looking at individual net ratings, like uh, like Domas's individual net rating has been down this year too. A lot of guys on the teams have um, because of, like I mentioned, some of the noise there. They've been a lot more experimental this year. I think that's 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 the other thing I would say too. They've been so much more experimental with things this year. That leads to um, less. Uh, what's the way to put it? Indicative is the wrong word. Um, you're going to have a lot less concrete things to uh, to point out when looking at uh, net ratings when you're being so much more experimental and, and trying different things that are less certain or, or concrete. Um, and so we're seeing that fluctuation in some of the net ratings and some of the lineups this year. Um, on to the next question from Miles. Also, Chris, thank you for asking that. I, uh, if you need a, I'll, I'll look into it more and try and get you more of an in-depth answer, but it's just kind of off the cuff right now. Uh, Miles Turner for DPOY sends in, do you think Sumner playing with the starters could help fix some issues with minutes, defense, fit chemistry? Um, so I hit on this a little bit earlier. I think, yes. Um, my thought with Sumner is give him like the nominal starter position and play him 15 to 20 minutes. I think that there's a good point with that. I, I, I've liked Justin starting, but I think it makes sense for him to come off the bench. That's another reason too, going back to Chris's question, why I think it's been different. Justin's been starting. Um, so it's the, the rotations have been different with the lineups. Like he still is playing with the bench lineups, but I mean, he's being used the same, but it's just been different. Instead of having him come up, come off the bench with that energy, he's, uh, you know, in the starting lineup playing for quite a bit and then, you know, running with that second lineup. Um, so that makes a difference too. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, I think that there's a room for Sumner. I would like, again, I, I think if I was, um, it's easy for me to say if I was coaching, I'm not as smart as Nate York and I'll never try and posit that I am. But I think that's something I would look at. And the games that he started, he was good. Like the the game against Golden State is the one I always point out. They ran boxing on one boxing one against Steph Curry almost the entire game with uh with Ed doing that. And he was huge in that game. I, I wouldn't say he won the game single handedly, but he was a large part in why the Pacers won that game. Huge road trip game. Um and that was with Vic out, I believe, if I remember correctly. So, like, oh, wait, no, Vic was not out for that game. But it was one of his last games in a Pacers uniform. Um, but ultimately, that's that's my answer. I would say there's there's room for it. I would like to see it happen, but I don't think it's going to, um, even though I think that there's uh, maybe something you could bring up why it should. Um, Cody Hodek. Also, yeah, thank you to uh, to Miles Turner for DPOI. Um, there's actually a good, good case for that this year that I'll probably talk about at the end. Um, from my friend Cody Hodek. Uh, why are Sabonis's on and off numbers so terrible for someone who seems to be awesome on offense? Awesome question. Uh, like I mentioned a little bit with on-off ratings, um, things get noisy. Part of that has been the the new style of defense that the team has been playing. It has not put Sabonis in a good position whatsoever, um, or not to say whatsoever, but I think. Especially, I mean, I, I mean, when Miles was out and they were playing the defense still. With Domas out, that tanked some of their ratings because um, they got absolutely slaughtered defensively um, because they were trying to play the exact same style without the guy who makes that style possible, um, which was a little bit of a – it was a little frustrating to watch. But I think that was a large reason for why some of the ratings are, are what they are right now. But also, I mean, Sabonis has just been playing so many minutes, right? I think – I mean, you see he's playing 37, 38 minutes of 48, and – Considering the Pacers are about a 500 team right now, that would probably indicate why his numbers are down. I mean, 
if you're a team playing 500 basketball, you're not playing awesome. I mean, your, your numbers are just going to go down. Um, I'm not an expert in looking at net ratings and understanding what's going on there, but I think that's ultimately what it'd be. Also, I mean, the, the bench lineup that was mentioned has not been as good this year. That was a large reason for why Domas's net swing was so good last year. Um, I think that would be my main answer. Like there, are, uh, there are a lot of things you could point to, but ultimately it's just been team success and kind of the positions that, that Domas has been put in. Um, and it's, I mean, he's uh, so looking at it right now, the team is 7.3 points for 100 possessions worse with Domas on court. doesn't mean that they're actually worse with him on, with him on court, but lineups uh, are either getting outscored, uh, letting up 7.3 points per, per 100 more or, um, getting scored on more like it's a it's an interesting conundrum but I think ultimately I lean towards saying you know Domas is just on the court so much and especially in his latter minutes those they, they tail off because he's so tired um so I, it's not a definite answer Cody but I think that's where I'd kind of go with that um so looking at my final question and then I'll open stuff up for for any questions you guys have but here is the final question that uh, I'm really excited to lean into because I uh, I saw this a couple days ago when it was asked. And I've thought about it a lot, and I, I kind of tossed it around to some friends of mine who also cover the team and uh, just know basketball really well. Um, this is from Thomas Sincara, a friend of mine on Twitter, also a really great follow that you guys should go uh, go follow, at Ben Thrifty. Um, how would you order Sabonis, Brogdon, and Turner in terms of importance to the team for this season? And... This is a, you know, I in in doing this exercise in my mind and, and trying to really parse through what I think is important to the Pacers right now. And, and I guess so. If you're saying importance to the team this season, you mean in terms of just winning. Um, and I think the way that I would put it, and this is going to sound controversial, I would go Malcolm Brogdon number one. Uh, and that one's easy for me just because players who handle the ball are innately a little bit more important than guys who don't. And obviously, Domas handles it a lot. He does a ton for the offense. Um, he's really important to the defense too with his rebounding. But I mean, we've like I like I mentioned earlier, Brogdon has really struggled over the last half of the uh, the beginning of the season, and that has coincided with the team losing eight of their last twelve games. Uh, so Malcolm playing well, important to the team, um, and he's been so big defensively too. He's taking on the the top perimeter assignment every single night. Um, he's doing a ton of heavy lifting for the team. So I think he's number one for me in terms of importance. Number two would be Miles for me. I think part of it is because I value defense a ton, but also if you just view in terms of how the team is playing right now, especially defensively, Miles is probably, I mean, you could make the argument even that he's the most important player for the team because of how they're trying to play this aggressive brand of defense. Um, I mean, we saw in the games without Miles out there, I mean, the team is literally almost incapable of stopping anyone. And that's obviously a reductive way to put it, but it's it's almost true. Like, just looking at how much they struggled without Miles there. I mean, I'm, I'm going to pull up the numbers right now, but more importantly, like, with the way that they're playing, if Miles is not there to protect on the weak side, you have, okay, if, if Miles isn't out there, uh, Doug McDermott is rotating over. Um, you have... Jeremy Lamb rotating over as the low man. These are not guys who are going to, you know, protect the rim. And that's not a knock on them. That's just that's the way that the team is playing. They're letting a lot of stuff get downhill. They're funneling everything to the rim. You know, they're letting up a ton of rim attempts, which is uh, not great for defense. 
but because of how good Miles is as a shot blocker and, and altering shots, I mean, that's a huge aspect of, of why the defense has at least been passable. Um, and they were way better to start the year, but they've tailed off. Um, and part of that is losing Vic. But I, I think you just look at that, and that is very important. Um, so looking at just some of the numbers without Miles, so if Domas, Domas on court without Miles, they're, uh, they're allowing 113.6 points per 100 possessions, which is very bad. Um, it's not like the worst of the worst, but that's, that's not good. Um, that's, that's pretty rough defense. So that's with, with Domas on court and Miles off. And then you switch that to with Miles on just in general. And the team is a lot. Oh, wait, oh crap. It took me a second. Yeah, the team is allowing 109 points per 100 just with Miles on court in general. And that could be with Domas. It's actually with Domas a lot. Uh, that is really good. That would put them in like, that's like a, a top 25% of all the lineups in the league right now. Then you put it to Miles with Domas off the court, which we're not seeing a ton of those lineups, but that is a 99.7 points per 100 possession, which would be like the best defense in the league. Um, so again, that's 379 possessions. That's not a ton, but it's enough to say, hey, that's a that's a noticeable trend. Miles has been awesome this year, and that tracks of what we've seen, right? Miles has been uh, still in my opinion, the front runner for the defensive player of the year. He's tailed off a little bit, not due to his own play. Um, part of it, I mean, yeah, he had the hand injury, but he's still been really good. But a lot of it has just been the Pacers' defense in general has slipped uh, because of some of the surrounding talent not playing as well defensively. But that's why um, I would put Turner number two. And Domas number three is not a slight. It's not even talking about guys being better. Like It's not that I think – uh, Brogdon or Turner are necessarily better than Domas. I just think in terms of the importance to wins, like I still view Domas as a guy who is not necessarily the guy who uh, like he wins you games, but I think he makes the players around him better more so than uh, than being a guy who's going to win you a game by himself, if that makes sense. And I think uh, Miles and Brogdon are just so important to what the team is trying to do in terms of winning. That's just how I view it. You can totally disagree with me on that. That's fair, but I think. Uh, a lot of the numbers would support what I'm saying. And also, you know, just uh, in terms of watching the game, it's uh, it's pretty tough to look and say that uh, Miles is not the second most important player to what they're doing, especially looking at, at, at everything defensively. Um, and, you know, I could dive into that more. And maybe my answer would change and maybe my answer will change over the next 10 games. But, yeah, I would uh, to, to Thomas's question, I would I would say. Uh, Brogdon, Turner, and Sabonis would be my order in terms of who's most important to the team right now. Um, that is all for my mailbag questions right now. Uh, really psyched today to be joined by a friend of mine and also one of the best writers out there right now, James Edwards III from over at The Athletic uh, to talk a little bit about the Pistons and Pacers matchup happening tomorrow. Uh, James, how are you doing today, man? Are you uh, finally caught up on sleep uh, after uh, you know the, the long uh shams reporting i imagine that's got to have been very different man after going from just uh i mean not just i mean beat, beat reporting is very different from doing what shams is doing so how was that for you and uh getting kind of back into a regular schedule yeah no i appreciate you having me on it's always fun to chat with you um yeah man it was a it was a long week last week um kind of sitting on the news since tuesday trying to find the best time to drop it drop it on Saturday and Sunday. Um, not much sleep, a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts. I made up for it, though, on Monday night. Um, I fell asleep at 9 and didn't wake up till 8, which is probably <laughs> the most sleep I've had in, in, one, in one period. 
I mean, probably since like I was in like middle school or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so that felt good. So I feel pretty energized and um, the team is bad, but they're interesting. So it hasn't been as grueling and plus no travel um, this year. So it hasn't been as grueling of a season as it has been in years past. So I can't complain too much. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, especially too looking at right now, uh, Pistons beat who the Pacers played tonight uh, in the Brooklyn Nets yesterday, uh, which was obviously, you know, a little yeah. surprising. It's kind of funny. All six of the wins have been against really good teams this year. Um, so it's been yeah. different. The I heat, think the Heat are – Well, okay, against the, teams that should I feel like people still should put them – Yeah, yeah. I feel like people still um, – with blind faith, put the heat in the good category, but they have not been good this year. Yeah, they're. I was watching them last night against the Knicks, and they are. I mean, the Knicks have been good-ish this year, um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm out on the heat right now. Um, but it is kind of funny. I thought that the. Uh, I personally have felt that the Pistons are a little bit better than six and eighteen. You know, I mean, like they've been yeah. in every game. Uh, they've only gotten like blown out really once or twice. But um, for anybody who hasn't seen. The Pistons play, what would you say is kind of the number one thing that stands out other than Jeremy Grant? Because we'll talk about Jeremy, but yeah. I think everybody's pretty aware of Jeremy. Um, I mean, I guess probably this to the surprise of no one when they shoot the three ball league average or better, like they're a much better team. Um, and when they don't, they're a pretty bad team. Um, it's taken pretty much 25 plus points a night for from Jeremy Grant for them to be in every game. And if it's not that, it's like 15 plus from Wayne Ellington to, to be in every game. So it's like, it's a very fine margin for error. Um, but they play hard. I, I I think Pistons fans will tell you that despite the record, they're, they're tuning in on pretty much most nights for all 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they defend well in spurts. They, yeah. They, I mean, they have a couple guys that surprise you with their shot making um, Jeremy Grant, Josh Jackson, um, Sadiq Bay can get hot. Delon Wright's played better as of late. So it's like a very boring team, like almost on paper if you're not a Pistons fan. Uh, but it's a team that you kind of just like – it's the second quarter, you're probably on your phone, you're you're flipping around, and then you get to the fourth quarter and you're kind of locked into the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I uh, it's It's been interesting for me because I live like close enough to Detroit where – I can't watch anything live, of course, because it's how Fox Sports gets you. But, um, you know, so I watch everything on tape delay. But I love Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart totally pops for me. But I have to ask me, what is up with – why is Beef Stew his nickname? Like, I cannot I cannot I, get with it. I, I feel like he deserves better than, than Beef Stew as a nickname. But – I mean, it's – it's it, Twitter, they, they latched on. They liked it. It's not – I. Uh, you'll never catch James calling him beef stew. Um, that just sounds like a, a offensive alignment at, at, at Toledo. Like it just does not, it does not uh, fit the physique and style of play of, uh, of Isaiah Stewart. Yeah. It sounds more like a big baby nickname. Like Glenn Davis should have been called that in 2011 or something. Right. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, that's, yeah, for sure. Like I even like, if we're, if we're going to go simple, like I like big stew. Like that sounds like a bully. Yeah, like that's better. Beef like Stu because at least really like at least Stu is like part part of his last name. So like beef stew is just like it's whack, man. I don't I don't really get it. Um, it's like a yeah. really bad rap group that I'm not into, but everybody listens to. 
Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. I've liked Sadiq Bay too. I know his uh, his inside the arc shooting's been been a, a work in progress, but he's been good outside yeah. the arc. He's shown some flashes defensively. Um, I know you've talked about also before. I I even keep going to everyone listening. Of course, go listen to Bun and Cardigan show. James' new podcast with Nick Hankel. I think it's Hankel. Um, yeah. Really great. I've really enjoyed Thank it. You. Uh, you guys are doing it twice a week. And also, uh, James produced the uh, the intro song to it, which is fire. And you and Nick switch week, uh, week week by week. Uh, I mean, pod by pod, you switch who's doing the exit beat. And that's really yeah. cool. Um, so definitely Appreciate go listen to that. that I'll have links down below. Um, I think the other one of the other questions I would ask too, uh, what have you thought of Josh Jackson recently? Because he started off really hot. He's kind of tailed off a little bit, but he's getting back in, in the groove. Um, how does he kind of fit in? And um, what are your thoughts on his like future a little bit with them? Yeah, it's it's very interesting when you talk about Josh Jackson because you see you see the makings of a of a solid player. You see a guy that can create a shot for himself, that can get to the hole, that can finish defensively. He disrupts uh, specifically on the ball. Sometimes he, off the ball, he gets caught ball watching. Um, and like even in transition, he's really good. When he's getting downhill and doesn't have to think too much, he makes he's a good passer. It's just there's times when the shooting's up and down, and at the beginning of the year, that's kind of like what made him, I guess, maybe catch the eyes of people. He was shooting the three ball really well to start. Then the ankle injury came, and he started shooting poorly again. He shot really well in the double overtime loss to the Lakers on Saturday. I can't remember what he shot from three last night. I don't think it was great, but I don't think it was bad. Um, he does a lot of good things that that kind of fit the culture of Detroit. He plays hard. He's a slasher. Um, he can sneakily create his own shot, finish at the rim. Not a great free throw shooter, so it's kind of it's been canceling itself out at times. Um, but he also there are times when he has to make like a quick decision or a tough decision where he turns the ball over. I'd say for the most part, he's been good this year. Um, but there are things that you wonder if that's just part of his fabric. And if, if he could fix those things, you're looking at a, a really solid player. Um, but I think there's just going to be inconsistencies with Josh. You're going to get some really good versions and you're going to get some not so good versions. But I still think even at his, even at his average day, he's still better than a Stanley Johnson. I still think he's better than a Bruce Brown. Um, he just offers more. He's a little bit more dynamic than those type of guys. Yeah, yeah, and he's younger too. I mean, like it's been awesome seeing Stanley kind of find a role in Toronto, but still, like I mean, he's got a lot of the same issues. He's just been able to work on some things. Um, but yeah, no, I'm excited for Josh, and he's actually like looking through. He's shooting like 39 percent over the last 10 games from three, um, kind of finding his way there. Um, so, all right, let's talk about Jeremy really quick because you know I, I think people are aware of uh, the stats profile and everything, but. Um, to people who haven't read your story, which I've I've told people to read your story, so I, I'm, I'm hoping some people went that way. But uh, to definitely like talk you, a little bit about his background and and coming into Detroit. So I think that's a really cool aspect of everything. Um, and also, did you didn't have any like real expectations for him to do anything like this, right? Because I did not. I, I don't really know anybody who did other than Jeremy himself. But uh, yeah, Troy definitely. Weaver, yeah, he's 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 taken that. Uh, when we asked him if he expected that, and of course, if I were Troy, I'd say that I'd say yes too. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like I don't want to oversell why Jeremy came here, but he definitely came here for a bigger role and a chance to grow his game. But he also, um, as he told me and, and I wrote in the story, like he came here to play for um, well, the, the, the possibility of playing with a black coach and a black GM in a black city intrigued him. So when the opportunity arose, um, 
it kind of checked all the boxes for what he was looking for for the next step of his career. And the thing that surprised me with Jeremy is I wondered how he'd be able to create his own shot. You just hadn't really seen it that much mm -hmm. um, in Denver and OKC. And obviously in Philly, you didn't see it at all. Um, but like he doesn't have like the tightest handle, but he's so and it's weird to say sneaky athleticism with Jeremy Grant, because that's kind of like what. I mean, people like about him, especially defensively. He's long mm -hmm. as shit. But offensively, like one or two dribbles, he's at the rim. Um, he's finishing like off foot, like wrong foot, leaners. Um, he's finishing through contact. His mid-range game, which he struggled with in the preseason and even early to start the year, like he's hitting mid-range jumpers with not, like a nice hesitation crossover dribble. Um, he's, his three-point shooting is continuing to get better. He's improved. I mean, I think this is the biggest thing. As he's gotten more attention as a scorer, I think he's improved as a passer as well. He's not mm -hmm. really turning the ball over. It's like everything you want from a go-to scorer he's doing, and people can use the, the excuse that he's playing in Detroit and there's a lot of shots, but just go look at his efficiency. It's as good, if not better, than it was in Denver um, on, on smaller uh, usage, and it's it's really been shocking to see how effective of a player he is and how he's developed – I mean, he kind of started the regular season showing that he could be a go-to scorer, and then as that showed, he progressed and 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 gave glimpse into what he can do as a playmaker and a creator for others too. Yeah, no, that's all all really great points, man. Like, I think what's been coolest for me in watching Jeremy too, like you mentioned, like I uh, I thought about the fact that you know he was going to be starting, and uh, he's never had a great handle or, or been an awesome facilitator. Seeing him get to the rim the way that he has has been just tremendous. Like, he's always been great at attacking closeouts um, or, like, just being a, a cutter or a slasher because he's got that athleticism. But, like, um, like you were mentioning, yeah, like, he's not just good stats, bad team. Like, he does have good stats on a bad team. But it's not yeah. just, like, bullshit empty calories points. Like, he actually has made incredible strides and flashes in his game. Um, like, I mean, he's I, – I think I could count on my hand the number of times I watched Jeremy Grant run a pick and roll last year. And he's right. I mean, he's surpassed that in like two games with the Pistons. Like I wrote a, just a piece on like how unprecedented his projection is. I mean, uh, is like his the way that he's grown. And like I think he uh, I'm trying to remember the right number. I think in like seven games with the Pistons, he'd led them in scoring more than he led Syracuse in scoring set in 72 games. Like it's like just yeah. shit like that. It's like absurd, man. Like that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. So it's been really cool to watch. Um, and also the passing no, too, like a shock. Like he's only turning the he's turning the ball over less than twice a game. You would expect way more, uh, considering how much he's handling the ball now. It's just different, um, and it's been really cool to see. Um, so, so the another thing I want to get on before we talk a little bit about the Pacers is uh, is Blake Griffin because you've been uh, you've been I, I enjoy the the perspective you bring on Blake. Uh, I think more people could use it, but um, Blake is not having a great season, which is you no. know I think that that's definitely fair to say he struggled. Um, but I think there's a a good way to talk about it. Um, but the first question I want to ask you, um, were, did you come across the, uh, the Fox sports? I think it's, uh, it's not Miami. I think South Southeast, uh, this Fox sports Southeast broadcast. I can't remember the guy's name, but he like totally went out on Blake the entire game. I don't know if you saw that. That was probably two or three weeks ago. Yeah. I, yeah, it, I did. I heard about the clip. I don't know if I saw it, but I know he was just, uh, like it sounded like Blake, kissed his girlfriend or something like that it yeah was very, just like totally very, ripped him. Uh, yeah yeah it was like unnecessary um but looking at Blake like 
like how 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 do you even like go about talking about that? Because it's been uh, it's been a little frustrating um, for me. Yeah, I mean, it's like no secret he hasn't played well, and I've I've not I haven't said it otherwise. Um, it's clearly the he's at a point in his career where, um, and even when like he was an All NBA player two years ago, the lift wasn't as bad as it as it is now. But even then, the athleticism was starting to go, but he could shoot the three ball. Um, and that kind of propelled him to all NBA status, the way he shot the three and and found other ways to create. Even in the post, he could still get up. It's not with Blake. You're just looking at what happens to that pretty much every player in NBA history except LeBron. Um, it's a guy that's had a lot of injuries, a lot of lower body injuries, um, doesn't have the lift he, had, he once had. Doesn't have the any type of speed and quickness. Um, the shots not falling at a rate that you would hope if you were him. When everything else isn't really clicking yet, he defensively he's he's a good quarterback, and I think he's been he's tried a little bit more than he did at the beginning of the year defensively, but he's, he's still still just a, a two steps slow. Um, I, he's it's just the natural kind of progression of a player like him who has given it all to the game and put his body on the line and had freak injuries and it's just all caught up to him I I still think he's a very smart player Um, I still think he makes good decisions Um, it's just physically it's it's clear that it's a I think you can see it when him and I think people when they see him frustrated I'm sure some of it is the situation in the team but I think just knowing Blake the little bit I do, like I think a lot of it is is that he's frustrated with himself and and it's 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 um it's a challenge to like have to adapt to being a whole different player and and not being able to do some of the things you once were able to do. And I think you're seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. Like I uh I, I see a lot of stuff on Twitter and it's like it's just frustrating because yeah, you know it's it's hard to parse through. That's something I'm working on. I get uh I, I certainly get a little bit up in arms about uh, things that aren't necessary to like, it's just, it's Twitter. Right. But you know, I'm like, well, dude, right, right. this, this dude's like, I, I think a lot of it's difficult. Cause I mean, I don't know Blake personally, but just like knowing the stuff that he does behind the scenes, like dude works his ass off. Like any NBA player does, you know, it's really, you can't get there without yep. putting in a requisite amount of work. And I think a lot of people discount that. Like um, I remember with Victor earlier this year and uh, last year too, like he really struggled in the bubble and I tried to kind of weigh in on that and be like, hey, you know, you you have to look at how different this is. You know, athletes, especially at this level, are so based on repetition and um, having a baseline and getting to repeat stuff that they're doing to, to keep finding new ways to get better. And you just like, I mean, he's coming off this massive injury. All this stuff is completely different. So, of course, he doesn't look good in the bubble. Like, I, I think that there's just an unreasonable amount of expectation sometimes for people when I try and temper that. But. Yeah, it's been tough with Blake because I remember he was like Lob City was like one of my teams growing up. Like I obviously love the Pacers, but Lob City was my West Coast team because, you know, growing up, I was like, all right, well, I like the Pacers. And then as soon as they're done, I'll watch the Clippers play. Um, and so it's it's just different, obviously, now. But, you know, that's that's what happens as guys get older. So it's uh, yeah, I think it's a great point to bring up. And then, um, yeah, it's just it's it's just yeah, it's it's people fans in Detroit are like wondering what's wrong with Blake. Like he just forgot how to do everything he's good at. And it's like, no, it's, it's just a natural progression. It, it is what it is. It, it, it sucks to watch if you're a fan, I'm sure. Um, but trust me, it's it probably, it's 
as tough, if not tougher, for for Blake to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. So believe it or not, these guys are human too. Who would have thought? Um, so right. I, I want to shift it over to you for a second too. Uh, have you caught the Pacers at all this year, or, or do you have any? What what thoughts do you have on the team, and just kind of questions or anything? I've caught. I've only caught one game live, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I mean, I'm I'm one of the guys that if I can't catch something, whether it's I'm covering the Pistons that night or uh, life stuff, like whatever. Like I'm, I'm always watching like the condensed games. Yeah. Um, so like I've seen, they're a godsend pretty man. much. Yeah. I mean, it's literally what you've come to expect from the Pacers professional, hardworking, don't make many errors, just good basketball players all around. Like it's what the Pacers at their best have been since the beginning of time. <laughs> Pretty much, man. Dinosaurs in every way, shape, and form, except they take a few more threes this year. Yeah. And they do things different defensively, too. But, yeah, they've uh, they've kind of struggled lately, 4-8 and eight over their last 12. Um, yeah. Again, like you're talking about with expectations, though, like they traded Victor. Karras is out because it was uh, – I mean, the, the mass that they found on his kidney. Luckily, he's okay now. But, um, you know, believe I, I, uh, I follow a couple of Pacers pages on Facebook just so I can uh, gauge what people are saying and thinking. Because uh, for some reason that just helps me with you know like writing yeah. stuff or thinking about what to talk about, and you would think that the world right. is like ending or something, uh, <laughs> you know, once a week at least. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't know, it's it's the same thing with expectations, right? Like you, there's there's levels to it. Like you go from having Victor Oladipo to Justin Holiday's in the starting lineup now, and that's not to berate Justin; he's a good player, but it's it's a big difference. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think that the right. Pacers are probably better than uh, than four and eight over their last twelve, but they uh, they'll probably be looking to right the ship. Definitely, I'm not expecting a win against Brooklyn tonight, but uh, maybe against Detroit tomorrow. But um, we'll see on that. I mean, have you seen Brooklyn play defense? The Pistons <laughs> yeah. just put up 122. I mean, I haven't I seen them play the it, but I've, I've okay. yeah, I, have, I haven't seen Brooklyn play it, but I know that they. Uh, I mean, I've watched <laughs> Brooklyn, so yeah, there's that. Yeah, right. They're out there. Yeah, they're they're out here saying, but uh, yeah, like I don't I don't know I I think just the talent is too good. Kyrie and James are like just fantastic. You know, I know KD's not playing still with one of like the weirdest uh, things that is some somehow th- things just keep getting weirder and weirder uh, as yeah. time goes on. But yeah, that uh, the whole thing with KD going in and out of the game was was whack. Yeah, I would just say like you you're going in with low expectations. Like I. I get it. You don't want, uh, you don't want to get your hopes up too high. But I, I believe that the Pacers have a chance to beat the Nets. I, as somebody who just had to watch the Nets live last night, um, I think the Pacers are better equipped to do what Detroit did than Detroit was. So, the Pacers are again a professional team. Brooklyn is not a professional team. They have somebody described it to me last night perfectly. They have lazy talent. That's actually a pretty good way to put it. And the Pacers have they have talent, but it's self-made talent. And when those two collide on the right night, it could get ugly for the team that uh doesn't have all the uh, the glitz and glamour. I don't know, man. I'm I'm not putting any chips on the table yet. I'm uh, I'm I'm we'll we'll see what happens. If if they come out uh if they come out above 5 500 after tonight, I'll be uh I'll be impressed, but but we'll see on it. Um, before I get you out of here, because I know you got to get going somewhere, um, you are a fellow hip hop head, just like me, if not bigger. Um, what is on rotation for you right now? Because I've, I've been listening to some good stuff, but I, I, what's uh, what's on your soundtrack today? I've been on 
the last week I've been more on like a R and B slash like instrumental kick. Um, so like if people are familiar with Knowledge, yep. Um, who he did Mama on uh, "To Pimp a Butterfly," the Kendrick Lamar album. He did. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. But I'm just trying to think of somebody that might not have heard of him. Um, the Anderson Pac album. Uh, what's their group called? I forget right now. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the group's called, but I do like Anderson Pac a lot. Yeah, it's uh, gosh. Well, they have an album together. Those two, Knowledge produces it. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of that. Dilla, um, Danita, and Scene is a R&B group. Scene's a former underground rapper that kind of switched up style. Um, D E N I T I A and Scene S E N E. His and Hers is one of my favorite albums. Um, what else? MF Doom still. Um, what else is on rotation? That's about it. Yeah, D'Angelo. Yeah, I've been kind of keeping it. The sun's been out, so like just keeping it smooth. Yeah, what about you? What have you been listening to? Yeah, there was uh, an album that uh, Sky Zoo and Pete Rock did last year. It was yeah. either last year or the year before, but I really liked it, and I've been listening to that because has I, a great I, posse cut. Yeah, I uh, yeah, because it's it's Sky Zoo with Griselda, right? And and Elzai from yeah from Detroit, who I think is the best rapper in Detroit history. Not Big Sean. It's not Big Sean. Oh, uh, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're, yeah, no, I know we're not doing this. It's today. today opposite day. <laughs> yes, Did it was say? opposite day yeah. today. Okay. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I've been loving that. I uh one of my favorite beats of all time. Um, I just found out it's, it wasn't initially a Nipsey beat. Um, status symbol, like the original status symbol is like one of my favorite songs. Um, so I really like Nipsey Hustle. And uh there's a the orish, original beat is uh it's off a crew song. That I'd never heard. It's okay. just another case. Really good beat. Um, I, don't I definitely know, if I know that off the top of my head. I'll it's check good. it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. I I, I didn't like love Nipsey Hustle. Just like early Nipsey Hustle was kind of like more uh I don't want to say comedy, but he was like really more of like a jokester and stuff. And I, I'm like a pretty serious person, so I, I don't vibe well with that. <laughs> but uh I really liked a lot of his later stuff and I've gotten into more of him since he passed. But yeah, no, that's been on the relationship yeah, no, with me a lot. I think Nipsey's uh Nipsey I think people who, when he was alive, people who knew about Nipsey, liked Nipsey. And I, I was never a big fan, but I always respected him. I thought he was good. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he got better as he got older, too. So, yeah, shout out to Nipsey. Rest in peace. Yeah, definitely. Well, James, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's always good to talk. Um, do you have anything you want to plug uh, anywhere people can find you at? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm at The Athletic. If you're a Pistons fan or – you hate the Pistons and want to comment <laughs> mean things about them. You can find me there. Um, I'm on Twitter at JL Edwards, I, 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 uh, check out the bun and cardigan show, uh, Detroit Pistons podcast. I do with Nicholas Henkel, um, who is, if you're on the Twitter sphere, he had a pretty a, great video yesterday. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's known for his, uh, his post game reaction videos. And we came together to do a podcast cause I thought it'd be fun. It's a different dynamic, a beat writer, um, and a super fan. I thought that dynamic would be would be fun to do and hasn't really been done that I know of. Um, and people seem to like it. So, yeah, the Bun and Cardigan show on Apple, Spotify, Google Play. Um, and I appreciate your support, man, for that. It's You're the man. I Everything, you've been very supportive. So 
for everything I've done. So I appreciate you. It's the least I can do is hop on your pod. Oh, dude, of course. Anytime your stuff's great. So as Kanye would say, my life is dope. I do dope shit. So, you know, you support (laughs) dope shit. That's that's the point. There you Um, go. Well, yeah, of course. Thanks, James. I appreciate it. Of course, everyone go follow him. Everything he does. Um, Follow me and everything I do. Come on. You know, what are we doing here? Um, But just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening and go Pacers.